If you want to learn more about your niche, what works, what doesn't, what you should do next, your competitors are actually the best source of information for that. This is why, while most newbies are afraid of competition when they pick a niche, we embrace it and we love it and we follow our competitors very closely so that we can learn how we can improve our business through their successes and their mistakes. In this episode, Mark and I are going to be sharing 12 metrics and reports that we use to monitor our competitors, learn about them, see what's working, see what's not working, and how you can use them to do better decisions in your business. But before we get started, I want to make a quick announcement. Authority Hacker Pro, our most advanced training and community, is reopening its doors next week for the first time this year. This is one of these very rare weeks where you will be able to join our insiders community and get access to our best tactics in video training. So if you want more information on this, make sure you go on authorityhacker.com pro and sign up for our email list so we can tell you exactly when it's available and how you can join. Now that we're done, without further teasing, let's get started with the episode. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about everything you can get from your competitors. And it's something that people tend to be afraid when they start a website, to be afraid of when people start a website. It's their competitors and finding competitors, but we will show you that having competitors is probably one of the best resources you can have when it comes to market research in this episode. And we love spending time looking at our competitors, learning from them what worked, what didn't work. And we tend to like, a lot of people tend to take that as a way to just copy like one guy and just do the exact same site. We don't do that. We tend to, you know, make a large list of competitors and pick like one thing from this guy and one thing from this other guy. And eventually just make something quite unique that doesn't look like anyone else's website. But anyway, before we jump into the podcast, let's just ask what everyone is here for. How's it going, Mark? And why the hell were you not here last week? It's going good. <laughs> Thanks for asking. And uh, before we address that, I just want to thank you for jumping on the uh, Bose headset bandwagon and coming into the 21st century when it comes to uh, audio quality. So You know, I don't like it, it because I can't hear myself. The sound cancelling is so good right now that I literally can't hear myself. It's very There's weird to me. There's a button so. on the left, so it changes from like maximum noise cancelling to yeah, like half noise cancelling. And that like that. makes it a little bit less <laughs> tilting. Really yeah. good if you're on an airplane, by the way. Well, I hope I, get into a, I hope I get into an airplane again. One yeah, day. maybe in uh, a few <laughs> years' time. Uh, but that's not the only thing I wanted to say. I wanted to address something, and that's why there was no Authority Hacker podcast last week. No, when was the last time there was no podcast? Do you know? Do you know how many? Weeks? I was gonna say it's been. I think it's been over a year. I really, really do. It's been, a, I can't remember. It's been that long ago. Do you remember back in the day, like three years ago, when we were so inconsistent? You'd have get, you know, maybe three weeks with one a week, and then there'd be not one for a week, not one for two weeks. And it was just really random. And then we were like, I think at the end of the year, in one of our end of year shows, we we're like, all right, it's going to be our goal to do 50 podcasts next year and then get some consistency. It's been like three years we do that now, like two, three years yeah. that we do one a week. So is that what happened? Are we just becoming sloppy again? No, it was actually <laughs> deliberate. So we chose not to do it. And unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on, on how you view things, we're actually going to be reducing the frequency of the Authority Hacker podcast from every single week to every two weeks. So we'd be doing about 25 a year instead. Same format, same show, just less frequently. Now, what are we doing with all that extra time, you may ask? 
Well, certainly not getting on airplanes. Next level at least World not, of Warcraft. At least not yet. And certainly not World of Warcraft. <laughs> We're actually going to be writing content for the Authority Hacker blog. So we have both... I think you finished your first article, actually. I'm yep. halfway through through mine at time of re- recording. So you guys should start seeing every month probably one or two articles written by us. This is not outsourced yeah, not to third-party writers. Like So hopefully it will be good stuff with our first-hand experience in there. Uh, so yeah, that's that's coming in the, the not-too-distant future. And we're also experimenting with some other formats to supplement that as well. We did this live stream about a month ago on the, the YouTube channel, and it's quite probable that we'll do more of those on a sort of ad hoc basis as new topics yeah. and stuff come up. Yeah, I think so. I think it's more fun to just do a little bit of everything, also as the audience, because like some people engage with this format, some people don't engage with this format. But I mean, to be honest, as a business, it allows us to reach more people as well. It's more entertaining personally to do different things than just to do like the same podcast every. And to be frank, we are at like 200 and how many episodes do we have? 250 something? This will be episode 255, I believe. So it's like, you know, how many times can you say (laughs) build links and and make great content? I'm not saying that we can't say that, but I'm just saying that personally in real life, I'm the kind of person that doesn't like talking when I have nothing to say as well. And it's not that we have nothing to say, but it's just that we have had the opportunity to share a lot of stuff in podcast format and that there are things that for example, I could do in a live stream that I could not do in this podcast format. Or there are things that I can do in a blog post that I cannot do in a podcast format. For example, the next blog post that I wrote is about site architecture, right? And I was able to spend some time and draw diagrams and show stuff and how like... It's know, a very pages, visual topic, isn't it? Pages relate to each other, etc., which we can't really do in this kind of discussion, right? So I feel like our time is better used kind of like exploring these other mediums making proper YouTube videos, making live streams, making blog posts, while keeping the format of the podcast you know, regular enough so that we have stuff to share. And I think the people who follow us will actually get more value from this than us just you know, going for a daily podcast and doing nothing else or whatever like this. So I'm actually spending also quite a bit more time now on Autoria Hacker Pro content, actually. So it's something I don't... You know, Atari Hacker Pro content used to be content, like I'd make a blueprint and then, you know, take a break for like, you know, six to eight weeks and then start another, something else, right? I don't want to do that anymore. I really want to balance my time and kind of like always be working on content for Atari Hacker Pro as well. So I'm not going to hide it. I'm going to take some of the time from the podcast to work on more Atari Hacker Pro content as well. Because there's a lot of stuff that we'd like to do in there. And again, it's a different format. You can do like extended screen shares and like really show how to do things, etc. which we can't really do even in YouTube videos, right? It's like, if I make a YouTube video of me spending 40 minutes tweaking WordPress, like not that many people will watch that. It works better like inside the course or something. It, the people need like the fast pace, etc. on YouTube that you can't, and you can't really go as much in detail as you would go in a course and something. So yeah, I want to explore different formats and I think the people who follow us will get more value. If you haven't, you can check the replay of our last live stream as well. We'll probably put a card here on top of YouTube. It's probably this side, like the editor keeps telling me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, go and check it out. And that gives you an idea of the different kinds of format we're going to do. But I'm quite excited to do different things and to kind of like bring some freshness into what we do and do something a little bit different, you know? So that's going to be the plan. Anything else to add on the topic or... Because otherwise, let's just jump on what's the podcast. No, I don't want to turn this into another, oh, I'm quitting YouTube kind of like no, video. No, that, we don't like, care. All these it's like there's still a podcast on. today. We're doing the yeah. podcast. Let's do a podcast, right? And if you have been following recently the podcast, not when we have guests, but when it's Mark and I, we tend to like introduce different segments. 
And this week, and, and one of them is the content of the week. And so, Mark, you're going to talk about that one because, to be frank, you shared it with me about 15 minutes ago, and I read about half the article, and it was really long, and I couldn't finish it. So pitch it to me. So it's by Glenn Alsop, a.k.a. Viper Chill, and it's on uh, gaps.com slash six-figure audits. And basically, he's, what he started doing was he started offering a website audit service. This was initially a charity thing, and he was very upfront. Like, it's not worth his time normally to to do this kind for of for five dollars. It's like what the yeah, <laughs> but the like he talks. The whole article is just it's brilliantly written, and like it's such a detailed case study that just explains the the whole process so so well, and it's it's very interesting to read. Which I'm going to be honest with you, when I normally see these long. SEO articles. It's just I never usually end up making them through making it through them. I normally just watch a YouTube video or something instead. But this one, like I really read it in in, in its entirety from start to finish. It just explains how he went about the process, the business model behind it, how it started off as a charity thing, the potential to upsell like four thousand dollar audits, and he even like throws out a bunch of ideas. He's he's like, well, I'm not going to take this business model forward, but someone else should. Here are a number of things you could do to turn this into a, a million dollar business. And I was totally convinced. I was like, I could do that. I could I could make a million dollars doing this. Most likely, I'm not sure we're going to. Again, it's it's quite a time intensive nah. thing, but I just. Thought it was a fascinating video. I love the way that guy thinks about business and about online marketing. So I'd highly encourage you guys to go out and check it out as well. Yeah, I'm not sure about his pricing though. I still think he's too cheap. I think he was he started five dollars and he went to forty dollars or something for this. It's like you know what I mean? It's like how many people that pay for I mean it was sorry, it was a charity months, thing you know? at the beginning. There, and I think there, they started doing an even doing, better reason to charge more. <laughs> <laughs> I think they I think they started doing like a bigger up like four thousand dollar upsells or something like that as well. Yeah. But the thing is like if you upsell to four four grants, then I would not put forty dollars as my front end. I would probably put two hundred to four hundred dollars, which would be like you know, an affiliate that does okay. I mean, for an, an audit by Glenn from Viper Chill, it still will be considered a still. Like an agency would, start, would charge a lot more than that. At the same time, the upsell rate would be much, like people would take it much more often if they were ready to spend 200 to $400. What I would probably do is I would probably have the 200 to 400 one. And what I'd do is I'd do a live stream where I would live do the ones for the people in the chat for free. To, and then send people, be like, hey, if you want a private one, like here's a 200 to 400 bucks. And people then upsell to a four grand or something so that you have your marketing content at the same time. I think the idea behind the cheaper one was that you could literally just, okay, I'm spending 10 minutes on this, hit record, and then open the site. Whereas if someone's paying 400 bucks for something, you know, you might want to be preparing a little bit more just to make sure you, you get everything right. And I don't think so, to be honest. I think it's like you can find issues without producing it very much. Like very often like I open a site, I'm like, okay, well you get a bunch of negative SEO. All this part of your site is no indexed or something uh, or whatever, like stuff like that. And it's like I don't think people expect like super produce. Maybe you can have like a video editor that just cuts your your fluff maybe. And that's basically the one thing I would maybe do. And that's it. But uh, I mean obviously it's worked, right? So I'm not here to tell him what to do. But if I was doing it, if we were doing it, I would tweak the formula a little bit probably for that. But that's my opinion. Otherwise, it looks like a great business idea. I think keyword research as a service as well would be a good one. Like if I did one personally, I would do keyword research as a service. I, I really enjoy keyword research. So. I was kind of like was a bit suspicious of companies that like sold keyword research because 
I feel yeah, like the same you keywords, just right? have, yeah, exactly. You, you, have, you have like an it's index like a of 50 niches. You do, back. Yeah, basically. And so how, how good is it really, you know? No, I mean, obviously, like, uh, it depends how much you charge, I think. But if you, if, you know, if you charge per, per hour or something, then I think, I think it would be very valuable. Like most people are pretty bad at keyword research. Anyway, anything else to say on that piece of content or should we do actually jump on the podcast? Because no, people would click on. on the thumbnail and then they just still don't have it and we're still fucking waffling and like nobody cares. Anyway, let's jump onto the podcast. What can you get out of your competitors? Don't be afraid of your competition. People are afraid. Like I see the newbies in tests very often, like, oh my God, so many competitors in this niche, etc. If there is no competitors in your niche, you probably shouldn't go. It's like, I know you're very smart, but collectively humanity is probably smarter than you. And so as a result, they probably have thought of most of the niches that you can come up with. Obviously, if it's like a brand, brand, brand new niche, maybe not too many people have done it. But still, usually it's a good sign to see competition. And now we're going to tell you... Just to like point out, and I was a victim of this as well, like in the, the early days, like I, I always wanted to be unique and different and find something no one else had done. But generally, if no one else has a website in there, it's because there's no money to be made. So there's no monetization yeah. potential. But even if there is, then it, you still can't do all of these tactics which we're about to share with you unless you have a bunch of competitors in your niche. So that's why it's a good thing. Yeah, and one that's going to be applying to most people who are watching this podcast is finding the affiliate programs that your competitors use. I made a full video on that. Again, I don't know where the card is, one of these sites. Uh, it's on <laughs> your, your left as you point up. Here we go. So you can go check the video I've made. It's probably, it's the most popular YouTube video that we have on the channel now, actually. This, this has almost a thousand thumbs up as a YouTube video, actually. So I'm pretty happy about that. I have even more red eyes than I have now, so I can't, but otherwise it's a pretty good video. And it shows you how we use Ahrefs to look at the link out domains from competitors and essentially find affiliate links because affiliate links link to tracking domains. So they're not like, you know, if you link to Amazon, as an affiliate, you don't link to Amazon.com, you link to amzn.to if you're .co.to, I can't remember. But like, you know, a shortened domain or you have some specific parameters in the URL that allow you to filter quite easily. And it works for every affiliate program because they all have tracking domains and I even show how to do it when they have custom landing pages and all that stuff. And essentially you can find monetization quite easily. And most importantly, the part I really like about this is that when you look at that report, you see how many links there is to that affiliate program, which, you know, when there's the odd link to an affiliate program, you're like, well, they're just trying it out. They probably don't make that much money. But when you find an affiliate program that gets, you know, 2000 links on a given website, you're like, okay, that's what they're piling on. That's what they're trying to make money from. And you don't just get like an affiliate program. You get an affiliate program that your competitor believes in and is willing to write content for. And if they're doing that, they're probably making money. So it's a, for me, it's my favorite way of finding affiliate programs because you essentially get that social proof of your competitors trying to pile on it. So they're either idiots or they're making money. That's one of the two anyway. So, <laughs> And generally, if they're not making money, then they'll stop and change the affiliate exactly. program, program quite quickly. So you'll catch it anyway. Yeah. I mean, it does happen that some people are just not very good. And they, <laughs> I've seen it several times. <laughs> it's like, oh, this guy is like leaking to these guys a lot. I must make money. And then you just we just promote it and like crickets for sales, you know, which happens a lot in affiliate marketing. So it does happen, but Quite often, especially if the site in general is well-maintained and you can see the guys are, know what they're doing in terms of SEO and stuff, it is really good intel. It's almost too powerful in the sense that it's like it makes the whole thing very, very transparent. 
uh, and you can you can literally find all the keywords of someone. You can find the keywords they used to promote that program and the angles they used to promote that program by just looking at the pages that link to it. So it almost makes the affiliate SEO game 100% transparent. You can kind of trick Ahrefs to like not find them through like, you know, like blocked redirects through tracking domains or something. You know, like we could be sending our affiliate links to like autoryhacker.net, for example, that then redirects to the affiliate program and then it would show autoryhacker.net in the, so it would be, we could trick it. But most people don't do that. Uh, 99% of people don't do that. And even then you can, if you see there's a redirect, you can essentially put the redirect analyzer, just Google that, there's a bunch, and you'll find the tracking domains in between and you can find the affair programs. So overall, uh, it is a really cool tactic. Go check out the video if you haven't. Take the next one. The next one is links. So I think most people on here probably know that you can put a website into Ahrefs Site Explorer and you can find out what links they have. That's kind of the bread and butter of what Ahrefs tool does. Now, how you can specifically use this in link building, guest posting, is if you are looking to build a prospect list, you can simply use that list, go down it and see, oh, is this a link I could potentially get and reach out to that site as well. Now, where this gets like quite interesting though, is once you find one or several sites that have linked to one of your competitors, you can then put that site in Ahrefs and look at the outbound links from that site and look at a bunch of other people who have got links from that site and then put them into Ahrefs and look at their backlinks as well. So you can very rapidly expand your potential list of competitors or sites you're analyzing to, to generate a, a prospect list. Ahrefs also has a calendar kind of interface where you can look at new links which uh, websites have, have gotten. And I know in certain industries, certain niches, the site owners are very, very kind of on top of this. And as soon as one person gets a new link, then all of the others who are competing for the, the key terms will go and try and get that link as, as well. So the more competitive the industry, the more that, that tends to happen. But it can be a good way of just staying on top of, of your competitors' links and, and, and generating prospects. You can also use the Ahrefs alerts service to basically create a custom email alert that you'll get sent once a week or something that just shows all, all new links to any domain basically so you can keep track of things that way as well. And the final uh, tool in Ahrefs that I think is really, really good, really powerful for analyzing competitors' links is the link intersect tool. But what this allows you to do is you can put in a number of different competitors like let's say four or five and then you put in your own, own domain and you say I want to find all the links that these sites have that I don't have. And then it'll order it by quantity. So if there are certain links that they all have or four out of the five or three out of the five have, then that'll kind of be at the top of the list. And you can use that to create a kind of priority list, priority prospect list of potential uh, links you can acquire. So yeah, very, very powerful tool for uh, link prospecting, link acquisition, many different creative ways you can use it and you can build on all these tactics and combine elements of them when you're you're doing this. Yeah, one thing I like to do as well, it doesn't always work, depends on the industry, is when I identify someone doing guest posting. I What you can do is you can use advanced queries to find the rest of their guest posts. So you can put like inpost.ta, you know, near Patel, and then it will find like the po and then you can put minus site column neopatel.com and it will just give you the posts that where he's the author but that are not on neopatel.com. And what you can do is if you want to find like the latest guest post he's done, maybe put a date range to like the last month or the last year or something. 
and you will find you know a list of targets that you can easily use from that. So you first identify an HF, you're like, oh, okay, these are guest posts. And you can use advanced queries to kind of like complete that and get something that you would not necessarily get from Ahrefs in terms of like, you know, filtering for guest posts and for your outreach. So I would say this is a cool way to kind of like use these together. These advanced queries, they don't always work as well as they used to. I feel like Google has been like nerfing them. <laughs> well, it's like you, you do tend to get a bit less results than you used to get. So it works a bit, but it's not it's not as good as it used to be, pretty much. Anything else on the... Uh, let's talk about keywords, actually. Let's just jump on the keywords. Okay, obviously, we're still going to talk about Ahrefs. I feel like it's an Ahrefs side, but Ahrefs is the best tool for, for competitors' research. Although I showed Uber Suggest in a live stream for keyword research, and it was pretty good, actually. I got it for 12 bucks per month as well, and I, they offered me 120 bucks for lifetime, which is pretty decent. It's not as good as Ahrefs. I would not trade it at the level at which we are, but if I was a beginner and I had very low budget, then I would consider I will consider that. And I think it's acceptable. So the top pages report is probably one of my favorite reports because first of all, it aggregates the traffic to the pages of all the long tail keywords. At least it tries, right? To to do that, it's not perfect. From I actually did check on all our sites. I checked the order of pages by organic traffic on Google Analytics versus the order of pages by organic traffic on Ahrefs, right? And Ahrefs was only about 60% right, which means 40% of our pages that were in the top 20 would not be in the top 20 on Ahrefs. So it's kind of good, but I actually kind of like the fact that they missed some because obviously a lot of my competitors are also looking at these reports. And also, they are, <laughs> I can tell you, they are missing some of our keywords many times because Ahrefs put them like page number 60 or something, when really it's like page number eight on the site in terms of traffic. And so I tend to like go quite low on the list because I know that that is a high rate of false positives. But overall, finding the top pages on the domain is, you know, if you find one of the easiest ways to start a new site and get traffic is to find, a, you know, a dozen low DR competitors and essentially take their top five pages or something and write about that, kind of like aggregate that, all these topics and write about that on your site and eventually you will get quite a bit of traffic. So that is one of the ones that I like the most. The other one that I like as well, once you've done that, is the keyword gap analysis. So when we go there, we can essentially put the URLs of the competitors and your URL is going to give you the keywords that they rank for, that you don't rank for, and essentially give you some keywords. Not as good as the top pages, but it's still pretty good. But usually what I like to find when I check this is actually the content footprints, right? So one example that I like in the, and it's going to be in the golf niche, and it's going to be the what's in the bag, for example. So name of golf player plus what's in W-E-I-T-B, not, it's like what's in the bag, is a giant footprint with like hundreds of keywords that are not that difficult and uh, you know, could be quite easy to, like you could quite easily rank for it with a media site pretty much. So if you find these content footprints either in the top pages or in the gap keyword analysis, I'd like to then do essentially seed keyword research on that. So for example, I found this WITB. Then I literally put WITB in a keyword explorer and I just look at the, um, at the phrase match, right? I make sure that I write for most of the keywords that show any kind of search volume because usually for these kind of keywords when there's like low search volume, Ahrefs is also very wrong. Like we have keywords we wrote for that have like, they say 10 search volume and the page gets like 2,000 visits per month or something. Like it's quite frequent. And so... On the higher level, like when, the, when you're talking about high search volume, it's not so bad, but when you're talking about low search volumes, very often like the mark for me is like any search volume that shows, I'm pretty happy to write about it 
and usually it pays off. So that is essentially all the cool stuff. Okay, the next thing I want to talk about as well is in terms of like content, feature snippets, etc. But mostly the thing that I really care the most about when I look at competitors these days, especially like established competitors, is when they're investing money into rewriting and updating content and republishing it eventually. So if they're doing that, my best guess is that they either get good traffic from this, you know, they make good money from this. And so essentially it's, you know, highlighting the creep of the, how do you, how do you say the cream at the top or something? Like what's the expression? It's actually a French term, creme de la creme. No, no, there's a, something else like that. Yeah, I know that part. Thank you, thank you very much. Cream of the crop, is it? Uh, yes, exactly. That one. So but like I, I would say creme de la creme more like, before I would say cream of the crop. I, I don't want to make a, a too big side thing, but you know, it's like when I use French expressions in English, I just sound like a douchebag, so I'd rather not. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll stick with like the, the, the cream of the crop or whatever, whatever the expression is. But essentially it gives you their best pages, right? And what's good is the HRC in the content explorer essentially highlights this quite easily. So you can just put a time frame, you can put the URL of a competitor, and you will have two graphs. You will have like a double bar graph. And one will be a dark blue, one will be a light blue, and the light blue will be all the content they published that month or that week or something. And then the dark blue will be the, the pages that were republished. And these ones I like to pay specific attention, even if the keyword doesn't seem nearly as good or something like that, if a competitor that I know what he's doing, essentially, if he's investing money in there, I'm probably, I probably want to be there. And that's usually when I queue a piece of content for us, for example. So I spent quite a bit of time in that report. And the content explorer is not, it's kind of a, quirky tool, I would say. It's like, it's not always very reliable, but for that part, it's quite useful actually. So I would recommend that people use that. Another one that I like in terms of on-page is essentially, it happens, you know, I talked about keyword footprints, right? Like this, uh, what's in the back. If I wrote about these and I found a guy that consistently outranks me, like there's a guy that's always above me. I'm like always number five, six, and he's always number one, two, three, something like this. Then I tend to scrap my content plan completely. Like I just tend to like forget about my template for this and take their template and then try to rewrite like five pages and be like, you know what? It's like, if you can't beat them, join them kind of attitude. And uh, it doesn't mean that in between those sections, I don't like take a bit of liberty to put something different, but for at least the way that it's structured, I think with all the craziness of search intent and all that stuff these days that Google is looking for, I tend to like, you know, you need to find them to be dominating across several keywords and use a template. And then essentially you can, you know, they found the winning template pretty much. I tend if, to like, if they are thoroughly dominating all of that, that like seed keyword and related keywords types, then sure. I personally one prefer keyword, yeah. in niches where or in areas of keyword research where, you know, there's more of a mix of people ranking. An approach I really like is to look at the SERP, sometimes maybe just the top five, you can go the whole 10 if you want, and just get a spreadsheet up yeah. and then write down the headings, not necessarily what they've, their, their titles, what they've called called it because sometimes that's like you know SEO or whatever but actually what they mean so this section is a, a benefit section or this is a comparison section or this is whatever buying guide and just list those out and then if you have it in a spreadsheet you can kind of like see them all side by side and uh, sometimes even like color color in the same sections across different areas so you can see how they've all structured it I find that this makes it really easy to identify commonalities that that seems to be working, but also to for you, to help you put the best article together and make sure you've pulled together all of the points that are being covered there. So hopefully you can beat the people who are in number one. 
I'm glad you like that because I made more than two hours of content on the exact on this exactly for Atari Hacker Pro in the new blueprint actually. So it's like uh, it's in the it's uh, in the on-page blueprint in the headings. It's like you know I could do this. Le- it's it's funny because this lesson I could have just been like okay, just put some keywords in your H2s and H3s and you're done. But I, I ended up being like literally three hours of content of brainstorming an entire article and showing exactly that how to create that spreadsheet, how to highlight the different sections, then how to go do deeper research and how to then optimize the keywords into each heading with like the subtopics, not just your main keywords, but like rather the subtopics that need to be hit semantically to be relevant for that query. So it's, this is a monster lesson, but. I think it's going and to this is one, this is kind of what we mean by saying like you have to create good content. I think a lot of people out there are just like, oh well, it was written by a native English speaker and they used uh, yeah. Surfer to optimize it. Like just doing that, okay, it's a good start. But you know, if you really want to be the best out there, this this is the kind of level you have to to, to go to, especially in like some of these more competitive uh, niches as well. So if you guys want to like pick that up and get access to that training. Um, we are going to be opening the doors in the not too distant future, a couple of weeks, I think, actually, to Authority Hacker Pro, which uh, where yeah, the these lessons will be in there is, by then. Is in there. Like uh, it's probably just going to release just before, but like we're editing them right now, so it should be in there. But like, yeah, it's cool. It really changes the dynamic in terms of like it's not just about putting. It's like uh, the example I take in the lesson is like uh, make money blogging, which is like a really competitive keyword. And the thing is, like, it's not about writing make money blogging in your headings a million times, right? It's about, like, it's about hitting these subtopics like AdSense, like creating a course, like, you know, speaking gigs was one of them as well, et cetera. And, like, there's a bunch of them. And essentially, that's, these are the subtopics you want to hit in your headings, not the main keyword a million times pretty much. And so, like, uh, it, it's, quite, it's quite interesting. And you have to do that research to hit all that stuff. But anyway, another thing that you can get from your competitors is uh, feature snippets, right? But it's not like you're looking at your competitors, then you're looking at which keywords they have a feature snippet for, because to be eligible for the feature snippet in the first place, you essentially need to be top five, six in SEO. And to be honest, like probably top four, like uh, it's very rare that you're number five and you grab the feature snippet. There's a higher probability of you grabbing it, the higher you rank in the normal algorithm, pretty much. So you don't do that. It's more like for a given query. So you check your competitors on a query level, Again, if you want to rank for like make money blogging, you're number three or number four, and then you want to get that feature snippet. The feature snippet algorithm is also an interesting one in the sense that it's kind of always looking for the same sentence structure. It's kind of like the formula is very basic. It's like follow the sentence structure, usually based on the prepositions or like what, how, when, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's like what is like subject is definition and then insert as many bolded keywords as you can in there pretty much and usually that works pretty well and make sure you don't go to like you don't go further than the word count that they tend to use for the feature snippet so you tend to do that so that i look at my competitors for that and i look at the bolded keywords that they have for that query like you know the bold keywords in the meta description and uh in the snippets so you tend to use these as well. And so, yeah, use your competitors to essentially grab feature snippets, even though there's quite a bit fewer feature snippets since one of the recent updates compared to what they used to be like. We've seen, we used to do really a lot of feature snippet games. And it's, it's been annoying a bit in the sense that we didn't really lose rankings, but a lot of queries that used to have feature snippets just don't show feature snippets anymore. But it's still a really good skill to have and it's still a lot of them. So feature snippets.
The next one I like to do, which is not really a pure SEO play, so it's like, I know some people are just gonna tune out, but it's finding the content people care about. And usually it's a very simple one. I like to put my competitors URLs in Facebook search and in Twitter search and maybe in LinkedIn search as well, and see what real people are actually sharing, like the parts, like the actual content people are sharing, not by looking at necessarily the number of social shares. I know that you can go and check the number of social shares on many tools and you see like, you know, 600 Facebook shares and 5,000 Pinterest repins, et cetera. Like that. But the thing is like a lot of these are just like people who liked mindlessly, et cetera. Like when people make the effort to actually share your content on their personal profile, I find this much more powerful than someone who just liked it on your Facebook page. And so as a result, I tend to like to put my competitors' domains in the search box on the social networks and find engaging content. And I, so it, usually, like as as a review site, you don't care about that. But if you if you're selling products, if you're you know trying to build an audience, etc., this is quite important. It gives us ideas very often on like especially for Toy Hacker, for example, on things that we can talk about that don't necessarily have search volume. It gives us another way of like coming up with content. Like this podcast is not is not really keyword based, right? It's just like we try to find something that's interesting to people and we talk about it. And one of the ways we'd find these things is checking social media, putting competitors' domains and seeing what content gets shared there pretty much. Talking about social, another thing that you can do is actually, again, not for pure review sites because they won't be doing much of it, but checking the ads they may be running. I, you know, we run ads on, so we've run ads on several sites actually. And you can directly through Facebook, actually, there's a Facebook ad library where you can put any Facebook page and you can see all the ads they've run and for how long they've been running it as well. And how long they've been running it is a very important data because it essentially allows you to see which ads failed and which has succeeded. And even if you don't run ads, if you have some kind of audience, it's going to give you a really good idea of one, how people monetize their audiences, because obviously if you're paying for ads, you probably want to make some money back because ads are not cheap at all. And two is going to give you ideas of like angles that really hit with people by seeing which ads have been running for a long time. So the it used to be quite difficult to see ads on Facebook, but now they literally just show you like you can put any competitor's page on a Facebook ads library, just Google it, and you will actually find a bunch of ways, like a lot of websites are monetizing their audience. And if you, it's really interesting if you see ads follow you all the time as well, right? If I'm on Facebook and I see like an ad all the time that's targeting me, uh, especially when you've been doing like competitor research, right? You've been on all these sites, then some of them are gonna retarget you. Then you find which ones spend on that and then you put them in the ads library and you essentially dig their whole funnel out and how they monetize their audience. It's very enlightening in terms of like business perspective for your website, like how you're going to make money, how you take this past being like just an SEO play, etc. So I think that's a good place to look at stuff. One other thing I want to add as well is just like keeping a a pulse on your competitors is really, really useful. I know when we're whenever doing keyword research or something, you go in and check them out, but just day by day, seeing how they're getting on. And one of the simplest ways to do this is just to add all your competitors into your Ahrefs dashboard. So every time you go into Ahrefs, you see your site and then all of their sites next to you. And you just see, you know, like, oh, they've gotten a lot of new backlinks lately or they see their rankings are going up, they're ranking for more keyword, that, that kind of thing. Just to keep a high-level overview of how things are going. Yeah. Okay, and the next one I want to talk about is going to be using Facebook Audience Insights. Again, that's kind of like a little bit higher level, but it's going to give you a lot of information about your audience, like what they like, 
their level of income, their education level, etc. But the one I really quite like actually is the they show you which other pages people are more likely to like. For example, I'm checking ours right now, and people are 27,767 times more likely to like niche pursuits than when they like us than like any other page on Facebook, pretty much. So it's very, very close to niche process audience, for example. So it gives you ideas of collapse and like who you should work with. So hey, we did a podcast with Spencer, you know, and I think our audience is much well. And there's a good reason for that because we're quite close. People also tend to like, for example, Ryan Stewart and Gross Tools, um, Brian Harris. So we know exactly who we should be doing collabs with. Empire Flippers is in there. Viper is in there. The Hot is in there. Um, <laughs> not uh -oh. sure about that one. <laughs> but it is quite interesting. It gives you ideas of like who you could work with. And you know, on Facebook, if you're doing ads, you can share audiences, right? You can essentially say, hey, I'll let you advertise to my audience if you let me advertise to your audience. And there's a way inside the Facebook ad manager to do that without sharing people's details and information and breaking any kind of privacy law. And it can be a good opportunity if you have a commercial offer on your site to look at these pages and try to do commercial offers together, promos together, etc., because they're more likely to buy, essentially. So that was my last one, actually. Anything else to add on all of this? No. Okay, well, the next section is another kind of like new format. Uh, by the way, it is a comment of the week. Let me just introduce it. Last time you, you talked about uh, Lino and you were like she, and it was actually, it's actually not a she, it's a he. And uh, he commented and he wasn't very happy. So I just, uh, you can at least oh, well. apologize. I apologize. <laughs> so let's talk about today's comment then. Go ahead. Uh, today's comment is from uh, trumpet.biz. I don't know if that's the website, possibly. Uh, he says, love your podcast, thank you. Question, he, uh, he's saying he had the free version of Yoast on his site uh -huh. and he changed to SEO Press Pro and saw an immediate drop in traffic from search engines and he even updated all the missing metadata and stuff like that that he, he didn't have before. Um, and he's wondering, like, should he change back? Did he do something wrong? Is it coincidence? Like, what's what's up, basically? Yeah, I think the only way to confirm it is to change back, really. Like, usually when something like that happens, even if it makes no sense, we, we kind of like swap back. We always make a backup usually before these kind of big changes. And we swap back. And, you know, we, we have no prior, like, we don't, we don't assume anything. You know, we're like, okay, maybe something happened we don't understand. But if we go back to previous conditions, if that was the case, then hopefully uh, things will come back to normal. And usually when you re-index your site and there was some kind of like technical issue, Google brings your traffic back, right? If you do it quick enough. So I would definitely roll back. For us, we had quirks changing SEO plugins, but not in terms of rankings, but more in terms of, you know, for example, we use this dynamic here, right? We do like, you know, best, I don't know, best, uh, best uh, rank tracker, and then we put current year, and it would say 2021 now, but you know, January 2022, it would say 2022, et cetera, et cetera. And so the formats for this kind of like dynamic codes tend to be different between SEO plugins, and they have importers. They try to translate it, but they often do it wrong. <laughs> often the, the importers are not done properly, and so it breaks all of these. So it's pretty frequent that this happens, for example, when we change SEO plugin. Not like we do it every day, by the way. But I know on one of our sites, we intended to change SEO plugin, and then that happened, and we just canceled everything, and we're back on the old one, right? For example, so it happens. I can't, I can't tell without seeing the site. But uh, usually, when something like this happens, roll back regardless, and make sure you have a backup before these kind of big changes. It could also just be a coincidence, and it could be yeah, some exactly. kind of you know penalty or something that happened that the same day this happened. So, might also want to check some other sites in your niche and 
maybe asking some groups if on X date, whenever it was, uh, anyone noticed any changes in traffic. And if a bunch of people did, then you know you might want to consider that as a an issue as well. Yeah, there was another part of the question, right? What are your thoughts on Schema Pro by WP Schema? Thanks, guys. I think we can tie that back to the SEO plugin. We actually changed to Rank Math now, and Rank Math does all the schema. So I would probably recommend to just use that. But I've tried Schema Pro; it was okay. It's just like it's a bit confusing to use, but they're all hourly, all the schema plugins. So it's actually one part of the on-page blueprint, actually talking about all this the schema setup, etc. And uh, yeah, it's okay. I mean, for me, I haven't had any big issue. Not like we have extensive experience with it, to be honest. I've just tried it on one site, but I had no big issue with it. I didn't necessarily audit the quality of the code and things like that. I didn't go very deep, but I did what it advertised on the box, pretty much. So that's that's all I can say, really. Anything else? Nope, I think we're done. All right. So, well, thank you everyone for joining in. Do we have a podcast? We have a podcast in two weeks now, right? We do. Yeah. Okay. Well, then we will see everyone in two weeks. Let us know. You know what? If you have any questions, just drop it in the comments on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe. Drop us a thumb up as well. Always helps us reach more people, which is always nice. And see you soon for not only podcasts, but also blog posts, live streams, and a bunch of other stuff. So thank you for joining in. Have a good week. All right. I hope you enjoyed watching or listening to this podcast as much as we enjoyed doing it. Before you get going with your life, I just want to reiterate my quick announcement. Authority Hacker Pro, our most advanced training and community, is reopening its doors next week. And this is going to be a very special time because we rarely open Authority Hacker Pro. It's literally the first time this year, and I think we'll maximum do it two times this year. So if you want to join the best training that we have ever put together for Authority Hacker, make sure you are signed up to our email list on authorityhacker.com pro so you can make sure that you won't miss the opening because we're only opening for one week. All right, now that the announcement is done, you can go on with your life. See you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Mm-hmm.